Well, as uh, Christian said, I uh, do help to lead the discipleship school uh, here at, at Antioch. And uh, if you're not, like, I think most people are aware of ADS, but if you're not, it, it really is. I'm just, I'm going to put a plug in here again. It's nine months to say, God, what can you do if I give you nine months? Um, it's powerful, not because... We've got a program that's unmatched. That's, that's just not true. It, it's powerful because God takes surrendered people and he is faithful to do what nothing else can. Diet and exercise cannot do what God can do with a surrendered people. So... Uh, we actually, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know. I may get reprimanded for this later, but we like... We, we, Christy and I were talking, we've been meeting every week and we'd love for like two or three more people to sign up. So um, just like right now, even, even while I'm preaching, ask the Lord, Lord, what would you do if I gave you nine months of my life? How could you make me a better parent if I gave you nine months of my life? How could you make me a better spouse if I gave you nine months? or a roommate, or a follower of Jesus. Um, what could you do if I gave you nine months? So I just, I submit that to you. And if you're interested, if you're one of the two or three, um, talk to me afterwards. So anyway, that's it. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm going to uh, have them put up a picture of my family. So that's my family. We've got four kids. That's my wife, Lori. We've been married 19 years. We dated for seven years before we got married. I don't recommend it. Like, if at all possible, avoid that. But, but we were, uh, she was 15 when we started dating. So, you know, the math kind of works out there. So, um, uh, so, yeah, so we got four kids. Jacob is the oldest in the back. And then Audrey. And then Lucy's right next to Lori. And Oliver is, uh, is there in the front. And this is how we take almost all of our family photos, by the way. It's dad with the, with the outstretched hand doing the, doing the selfie. So anyway, that's my family. I love them. They're such a blessing. Um, so anyway, thankful for the Lord for them. So um, yeah, so I just want to kind of tell a story. So when I, I went to A&M, came, uh, Lori and I both here moved here in 2000. We graduated high school in 2000, um, uh, which, you know, anyway, it was a long time ago. Um, and we came here and we jumped in. We got involved in the local church. When I came from, uh, from where I was at, I felt like it was me and Jesus. And, uh, you know, anything else was just gravy. Uh, but then when I got to college, I, f I like found that people and I fell in love with the local church Thanks be to God uh, that he didn't intend us to walk alone, but he made us for community. And so uh, I found a local church. I invested in a local church. We went on a, on a sort of a scouting mission trip. Some of you guys have never heard of a scouting mission trip. It's like, hey, we think we want to do or we think God wants to do in us something long term in a location. So we're just going to go and we're not going to be tourists. We're going to go and we're going to pray 
and we're asked the Lord what he might be doing. And so we went to North Africa with a small group of people and we prayed and we worshiped. And uh, during a short season of that very short trip, uh, so a couple of days, we went and spent time with a minority people group. And uh, so in North Africa, so for some of you guys, you're like, Africa, I, I don't know. It's Africa. It's jungle, right? Well, south, you know, south of the Sahara, there's a lot going on. There's, you know, the savanna and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, the Sahara is a huge desert. And above that, there's, you know, it's, it's sparse. I mean, there's the, the, the area that we were in had like scrubby looking uh, trees and not a lot of water. And so... Um, so where we were at with this, we went with a minority or visited a minority people group and they didn't have uh, running water, you know? And so there was a well outside the village and that supplied all their water. We spent a couple of days there. Um, so when we would shower, they had these huge buckets uh, or like a, a, almost like a 55 gallon drum um, full of water. And that was the clean water. And you would scoop it out, and that was, you know, whatever you needed to use water for, that's what you did. You pulled it out of the bucket, and so if you needed a shower, that's how you took a shower. Um, there, was no, there was no running water, so I'm just, I'm just going to say that. Like, bathroom experiences were challenging, you know? It was like, it's really hot, and there's no water, and, but the people were lovely. Um, they were very kind, and so uh, the village was made up of kind of adobe buildings that were all connected to each other. And so it would be probably three or four extended families. So if you think in extended families, you know, 20, 25 people, it was like 75 people in the village, you know, maybe more. Um, a lot of kids. And so in the mornings, we'd play with the kids and then we'd have lunch. And in the afternoons, all the, the old men would kind of gather around in the shade and we would just sit and talk. Um, and hear about their life and their experiences. And um, they didn't, you know, they had electricity, but they didn't have like fans and stuff like that. So the, the reprieve from the heat would come. I, I like never more appreciated the value of like a, a, of a towel swung around your head for air conditioning more than in that moment. I mean, it was like they would come in because the flies would sometimes, you know, kind of creep in and annoy you. So they'd come in, they'd swing the towel around their head and the flies would flee, you know, for, for whatever reason. I didn't know that was the case or that that would happen. But it would provide a little bit of air conditioning. And um, it was just like, it was a simple experience. Um, so that would be our afternoons. And then the, the evenings, we would all sit around and we would eat and we would play music. Um, and just more conversation. The, the working-aged adults would come and join um, in the evenings. And our, our local kind of contact told us, whenever you sit down for a meal, eat as much as you need, but, be, uh, but understand that if you finish everything in the dish, they're going to bring you more. So if you think that like grandma's house where you need to clean your plate, don't do that or they will continue to bring you more food. And we saw that happen. You know, people would forget. They would just, oh, this is how much, this American, you know, this is how much food I got. That's how much food I'm going to eat. And then they would bring another dish. And I was just struck 
um, when I was thinking about it um, this week, as I as I as I worked on this, I was just struck by the heart of generosity that they had, uh, that they were a generous people, and for them, generosity and hospitality meant just a little bit more than you need. And so if they saw that it wasn't quite yet more than what you needed or more than what you could consume, they wouldn't stop until it was just a little bit more than what you needed. Um, I was also struck when I thought, you know, had, it, had I not been in that environment, I don't know that I would have recognized the generosity. If I had been expecting a five-star meal at a five-star resort, um, then I don't know that I would have acknowledged the generosity that, that they provided. So what I'm not going to talk about today, I'm not going to talk about hedonism, and I'm not going to talk about uh, selfishness, and I'm not going to talk about gluttony. Um, I'm not going to talk about the prosperity gospel I'm not going to talk about a whole bunch of things that can spin off when we, when we, when we you know, just start thinking about generosity. We're going to talk about generosity, but I'm not going to talk about those other things. I'm going to trust you to the Lord and the Holy Spirit to speak to you about boundaries in those things. But we are going to talk about uh, generosity. And so and in relation to the... To the um, to the second thing that I mentioned about, about uh, if it had been a five-star resort, I just want to say that um, uh, entitlement blinds us to the generosity around us. So what we're going to do, I was talking to, to Billy a couple of weeks ago about this, and, and he's like, don't, don't feel pressure to have like a strong like a response time or whatever. And so we're not going to have, probably not going to have like a strong response, but what we're going to have is a pre-response. So if you guys could stand up, we're just going to go ahead and respond to the Lord right now before we really, really get started. Um, so I want you guys uh, to just, just pray with me and, and follow along. I'm just going to, we're going to, I'm going to lead you through repentance for any place of entitlement. So that's what we're going to do so that we can experience the generosity of God. We're going to repent for entitlement. So Lord Jesus, we honor you for who you are. You are good, God. Your provision is always more than enough. It's always more than enough. Lord, help us to reject entitlement in any areas of our life. Lord, right now, would you highlight any area in my life where entitlement has crept in? Yeah, I just, Lord, I, I, I like repent for my entitlement. And I say thank you that you always provide. That you set the lonely in families. That you're faithful um, to give a worker his wages. 
I honor you, God. I choose gratitude and I choose thankfulness. Help me every moment of every day to continue to choose gratitude and to choose thankfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You can be seated. Okay. So I'm not a preacher and I'm not a teacher. Um, so just warning. Uh, it's 1054 and our kids are in the, in the room with us. So I'm going to really try to just blaze through this as fast as I can. I have a, an alarm set on my watch. And when that alarm goes off, I'm going to set another alarm. I, sometimes I do this when I'm having coffee or lunch with somebody because I want to be fully engaged, but I also want to honor and respect time, uh, mine and theirs. So I'm going to set a couple of alarms uh, so that hopefully I can stay on track. Um, so we're, um, what I'd like to do, I, I like started out thinking about, you know, all the things that I could go through scripture and point out just the generosity of God. Uh, but the more I thought about it, not, not being a preacher and not being a teacher, I thought, you know what, I'd rather just have a conversation and just, just gush a little bit on the generosity of God in the hopes that you might walk away with like five one-liners that you'll remember forever. I mean, that, that's at least like a high bar for me, but um, that's all I ask is that I have five one-liners that you remember forever. Um, uh, yeah. So when we think about generosity, I, I like, it's helpful sometimes to look at the definition. So I don't know if you guys have the definition of generosity. Um, but it is, according to Oxford, it's showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. And I think it's important to point out that we can all recognize generosity when it's more than is necessary. You know, they gave me more money than what was necessary. Wow, that's really generous. And because you know, the, the, because it's also tied to what's expected. That's why we touch on entitlement and we repent for entitlement because sometimes our expectations are so high, you know, that it blinds us to true generosity. We've actually, we're gluttons in, in that respect. So what I'd like to do um, is just kind of run through a couple of examples. I've got about 30 examples from the scripture of the generosity of God. I'm going to try to not talk about all 30 of them. Uh, but I do want to point out that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, that he provided, you know, we think, oh, we need food and clothing and shelter. Um, and that's about enough. Now, they didn't have shelter. They also didn't have clothes. I'm assuming some of that stuff away. I'm um, like, hey, the Lord provided for them. But, but I also just note that like God gave them purpose when they were in the garden. He said, fill the earth and subdue it. He gave them community. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to create a helper for him. And he created like community within himself for them in the garden. Uh, Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. Um, so even, even in the beginning, uh, God was generous to Adam. Uh, he was generous to Abraham, uh, the father of our faith. Uh, like for, for God to call Abraham righteous 
All Abraham had to do was believe. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I just, I, I can't overstate that. He believed God and God credited him uh, with righteousness. Um, so God was generous and is generous in provision. He's generous in, um, in responding to our belief. But I really wanted to hone in on uh, a couple of other a couple of other items. Have, have you guys ever had a, a challenging relationship or a challenging partnership? Have you ever gone through, I don't know, I tend to think like a working relationship or where you're trying to accomplish a goal together and this other person is just so unreasonable and if they would just do things your way, everything would be better, you know? It's like, why don't they figure it out? Like, I know if you would just do it my way, it would all be better for everybody. Not just for you, but also for me. Um, how about like when you get to the end of that, when you get to the, uh, uh, I was talking to my son a couple of weeks ago and he, he threw out the, the, the phrase situationship, you know, where it's like, it's a little bit of relationship. It's a whole lot of situation, you know, where, where I, I think this is probably not the right context for that word, but it did come up in my mind. I was like, it's like a, it's like a situationship. We're like in this thing together and we're not married, you know, I'm not talking about that, but like, we got to come through this together or a whole lot of people are going to be negatively impacted. Just me, anybody else experience something like that in your life? Um, what about, so when that, when that situationship uh, comes to resolution, how do you think about the other person? How do you talk about the other person? What are the thoughts that you have toward them and about them? Let's look at how God um, thinks and talks about things like that situationships. Um, so I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit about Sarah. So Abraham's wife, Sarah. So what we know about Sarah, a couple of things that we know about Sarah is when, when Abraham was called, uh, he was married and the Bible says that she was barren. Now we don't know, does the Bible say that she's barren because, you know, the author of uh, like knew you know, he knew, he knew the end of the story when, when they were writing it or he was writing it. We don't know if Abraham knew she was barren before he got married to her or if it was just something that came up over time. Um, but she was barren and she's married to Abraham, who's like a significant call on his life is to be the father of a nation. We don't have time to dive into that. But I'm just going to say my heart has compassion for Sarah, um, who most definitely wanted a child and was married to somebody who had a great call on his life that was like directly connected to having children. And we don't have this time this morning to dive into all the pain. I just, I have a lot of compassion for Sarah. Um, that sounds really, really hard. It sounds like a hard situation. So she tried to help 
in the only way that she, I guess, knew how, she said, well, I can't provide for you what you need, Abraham, so why don't you have a child with my servant, Hagar? Which is just weird, you know? I mean, that's like not okay. I just want to say, it's like, it's not okay. It was probably, you know, to some degree, it was more acceptable back then. I don't know why, but it was for whatever reason. That would, uh, anyway, that kind of thinking is, is not welcome uh, any longer. Praise the Lord. Um, so she tried to help out. And then when she jumped in to help out and provided Hagar to, to Abraham, Hagar conceives and bore Ishmael a son. And then anybody who's you know, older than 15 knows exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be conflict between Hagar and Sarah. And she's like, you know, I was trying to help, but here's where I'm at. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't like her. <laughs> I want you to get rid of her and her son, <laughs> you know? And then, and then once Isaac's born, she actually says that. Like, I don't want her son having any inheritance with me. Um, so I'm not here to judge Sarah. I'm saying that's a hard situation, and I would hope that I would handle it well, but, but I don't know because I've never been in it. So I'm not here to judge Sarah. Um, but there is one thing that I do want to just, just call out and relate to. So uh, let's look at Genesis 18. We're going to start in 1 and 2 just to give a little context. So the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. So there were these visitors that came, these three men, and uh, they're significant men. Abraham recognizes it. It's essentially God and two angels, or maybe it's Jesus and two angels. It's the Lord. That's, that's what we understand. The Lord came to visit. Okay, so let's jump down to verse eight. And uh, Abraham brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So she's like 90. He's 99, something like that. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, Am I worn out? And my Lord is, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for God? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. Um, can anybody relate to that? I got caught and I was afraid. So I lied. I don't know if you guys can relate to it. I can relate to it. I would love to say that's never been a temptation in my life. But if I'm really honest, I mean, it's a real temptation. I got caught and I was afraid. So I lied. She laughed. This is, it's tough. She laughed 
at something where God wanted to bless her, you know? God's like, I want to provide a blessing to you, and you can't believe it, so you laughed. But the Lord is generous and faithful to his promise. The Lord is generous and faithful to his promise. So, situationship. You know, the situationship is God is trying to work in Abraham and Sarah to produce a mighty nation. Sarah doesn't believe on some level that he can do it and laughs at him and lies about it. So if we think about putting ourselves in that situation, you're like, oh, you know, not exactly the same, but I've been in situations like that. Did you eat my salad that I left in the fridge? No, I didn't eat it. Well, they really did. They just got afraid because they got caught and they lied about it. You know, like simplistically, it's happened or something like that, you know, where we're dealing with people. And then how do we remember them? Well, I'm not leaving my salad in the in the refrigerator anymore. That's how I, I got to eat it. I got to eat it all or so-and-so may may eat it for me and then and then we'll never know. But this is, this is, we're going to touch on the generosity of God. So let's jump to Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, and find out how God remembers Sarah. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. God said, what I remember is that Sarah had faith to conceive Isaac. He doesn't remember. He chooses to forget, if you will, that Sarah laughed at him. He chooses to forget that Sarah tried to do it her own way and bring Hagar into the picture. What he remembers is that by faith, she believed and conceived Isaac. Let it be so with us, Lord, that you would remember our highlights, that you would remember our faith and not our fear and not when we fail. So that's the first of 30. I'm just kidding. We're not going to get that. Okay, so I'm going to fly through a couple more. This is, I want, like, I want you to get it. It's like God is generous in that he remembers well of us. He remembers well of you. He remembers your good choices well. And we're not talking about all that other stuff, the balance to it. I'm just, I just want you to know that he remembers you well. He's generous in his provision. God liberates in Exodus. God liberates the children of Israel from slavery and he gives them favor. And they actually, uh, uh, in Exodus, it says they loot Egypt uh, because they basically, they borrow gold and jewelry. And uh, see, that's my timer. They borrow gold and jewelry and uh, loot Egypt. They take plunder, they plunder Egypt. He feeds them in the wilderness for 40 years with manna. So heavenly bread every day. And when they complain about bread, he gives them quail. So much quail until it spews out their nostrils, which doesn't sound pleasing. Um, they're, here, here, miracle of miracles. They're in the wilderness for 40 years and their sandals don't wear out. 
and their clothes don't wear out. I mean, come on, Lord. I like three pairs of pants a year get worn out. Like for me, I'm like, anyway, how does that happen? I don't understand it. He's generous in provision. He's generous in forgiveness. Uh, There's in Judges, the cycle of apostasy. It's basically the children of Israel reject God, turn from his ways, get overrun by the enemy. And then they call out to him. He raises up a judge who rescues them from the hands of their enemy and restores them back to favor. It's over and over and over and over again. He's generous in forgiveness. He's generous in blessing. When Solomon asks for wisdom, God says, ask of me, what do you want? I'll give you anything. Solomon asks for wisdom. And God says, because you ask for wisdom and not wealth or long life, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you wealth and I'm going to give you fame. And if you will honor me, I will give you long life. Um, in Jeremiah, oh, this was back onto forgiveness. In Jeremiah, the children of Israel had been rebellious toward God. And, and the king right before Jeremiah was, was like so bad, he was worse than all the rest that had come before him. But even still, God says, if you would just turn to me and call on my name, I will restore you. He is generous in forgiveness. He's generous in blessing again. When um, Jesus turned the water into wine, like his first miracle, does anybody know how much wine he produced? We all like remember that it was like the best wine. It was like a thousand bottles of wine at the end of the feast or the the wedding feast. A thousand bottles of the best wine. So he's like generous in abundance. When he provides, he's generous in abundance. When Jesus said, let down your nets for a catch, when he was with the disciples the first time in Luke 5, um, there were so many fish that it nearly sank two boats. He's generous in provision. So all those things are true. I, I, I want to highlight. So the two things that I really felt like the Lord was highlighting was that he's generous to us when we're not perfect. He remembers us well. And the other one is this story. Uh, so let's jump to Matthew 15, 29 through, 20, through 32. The heading in my Bible says, Jesus heals all who come to him. So Jesus went from there and came to the Sea of Galilee. And he went up, uh, <clears throat> then he went up the mountain and sat down. Many people came to him. They brought with them those who were not able to walk, those who were, he, they brought those who were not able to see, they brought those who were not able to hear or speak, and many others. And they put them at the feet of Jesus, and, and he healed them. All the people wondered. They saw how those who could not speak were now talking. And they saw how those who could not walk were now walking. And they saw how those who could not see were now seeing. And they gave thanks to the God of the Jews. And Jesus called his followers to him and said, I pity these people because they have been with me for three days and they have had no food. I do not want to send them home without food. They might get too weak as they go. So in my Bible, there's like a break between those two passages. And the second section is called the feeding of the 4,000. So, but here's what I want to highlight. Jesus spent three days 
with 4,000 men plus women and children. So I don't know, 12,000 people. He spent three days with them and he healed all who came to him. Everybody who came to him that had need, he healed them. So many times, I think when we think about Jesus and his miracles, and in, and in some circles, it's like this is kind of how they view it. They think Jesus did miracles so that his testimony would be believed. But it's like, it's like I'm going to do a magic show for you for 30 or 40 minutes after I teach for 30 or 40 minutes. But that's not, that's not, you wouldn't spend three days healing all who came if you were just looking to confirm the words that you spoke. He was generous with his time and he's generous with his power. He stayed for three days. I can't even begin to imagine how exhausting that was. I don't know what they ate, but I can't even imagine how exhausting that was. In John 21, 25, it says that Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. There's no greater testimony to the generosity of God than the life of Jesus. He lived a generous life. It was not token. It was generous in every way. And there's nothing really more generous, I don't think, than, than the gospel itself. Um, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare die. But God shows his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for us. That's great. That's fantastic. But it wouldn't be generosity if we then had to die as well. So, so true generosity is revealed by what he requires for us to walk in salvation. And what does he require for us to walk in salvation? He requires that we confess in our, that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is, is Lord, um, that we make him Lord. We say, I want to do what you want to do. And we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. I believe that Jesus, you are God and you were crucified on my behalf. So we believe and we confess and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, he says, I will be with you and I will give you my spirit. Um, I'm just going to jump down here. He also, uh, uh, so we're saved through belief and confession and our sins are washed away through the power of repentance. Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And in John, 1 John 1, 8 through 9, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we would de deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from righteousness. So the generosity of God in the gospel is shown in that we're, we're like saved eternally when we believe and we confess. We receive power 
when we call on God and ask the Holy Spirit to come and give us power and we're cleansed from our unrighteousness when we repent. There's nowhere in that uh, block of action and activity where we do anything that's even remotely um, worthy of the gift that we're given in return. We confess and he washes, washes us clean. We repent and he washes us clean. He doesn't give us a rag and say, go clean up the mess. When we repent, he washes us clean. When he, we believe, he seals us with the promised Holy Spirit. God, through Jesus, offers us rescue from the wrath and eternal judgment. And more than that, washes away our sins, forgives us and refreshes us when we return to him. Now through the gospel, we can stand before him clean because of his cleansing and eternally secure and saved. And all it costs us is belief and confession and repentance and acceptance, receiving what he has for us. And if that wasn't enough, God gives us a new heart and a clean start. He says, I'll take from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to have the band go ahead and come on up. Um, yeah, so God is the same today as he always has been. He's generous, wanting none to pray, perish and all to come to faith in him. For those that choose to trust him, he promises that he will be with us, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And when we call on him, he answers us. In worship, when we invite him, he comes without fail. I want to share just, uh, just a, as brief as I can be. Um, I want to share a little story. Uh, you know, our, our community is one of the more generous communities that I've ever been a part of. Um, Lori and I, in 2013, I think, um, we were committed to like uh, living, living a lifestyle where we weren't just doing the American thing. We didn't want to be tied down. If the Lord wanted to call us somewhere, uh, we wanted to be able to go. And so part of that was we didn't want to have debt on a depreciating asset. What does that mean? What's it, practically, what does that mean? That means we didn't want to go get a loan on a car that we were going to be financially upside down on as soon as we drove it off the lot. And so what that meant was we paid cash for our cars or they were gifts that we received with gladness and sincerity of heart. And what that means for those who are unaware is that, you know, when you're committed to that, you don't always drive the best things. You drive what you can afford. You drive what God provides. And then what I would recommend is when you drive those things, you should give them immediately back to God. Because then when it goes wrong, it's his problem and not yours. <laughs> Lord, your car is broken. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? So in 2013, the Lord's car broke. <laughs> um, I was on the, I mean, anyway, it's a long story. The Lord's, Lord's car broke and we had nothing. And um, my brother graciously loaned me his pickup that he wasn't using at the time for like six weeks. So I had six weeks. I had it until Thanksgiving. And um, during, that, during that time, there was an 
opportunity that was a need that was made known. So, so we, had, I, we had a little bit of savings. And so I'm Craigslisting it, you know? I'm like, I'm going to find something that is drivable that I can afford, um, that I can pay cash for. And I like, I'm not a, you know, tinker or mechanic or any, I'm like, not that. I pop the hood. I have no idea what I'm looking at, you know? Like, got, like a general, general idea that there are belts that should be moving if the car is on. And if they're not, that's a problem, you know? Um, or if they're gone, that's a problem. So, so I'm like re-upping in my heart, Lord, I'm committed to what you've called us to. So I'm, I'm not looking to go take out a note and buy a car. I'm not, there's no judgment for that. This was our convictions, like what we felt like the Lord had solidified in, in our hearts. And even, I was talking to my parents later, and, and my, some of my parents' friends were like, what makes them think they're so good? Why don't they just go take out a note like every other American, you know, and get a car, you know, so that they're not having to bum rides off of, of, of my brother. Um, but, the, but we were going to obey God. And so it, this was about halfway through. So in November, so I had the truck until Thanksgiving in November, a need came up in the community and Lori and I were praying about it. And we felt like he said, give all your savings away. And so I said, Lord, I'll give it. I will give it. I'll gladly give it because it was your car and whatever else we get, it's going to be yours. So I will gladly give it. But I want two cars. <laughs> because at that point, we had a van whose transmission started to slip. You know, you like hood and it was just not quite right. It was like, oh, mercy. I see what's coming. And so I said, Lord, I want two cars. I want you to be faithful with what I'm giving you. I want two cars. And that felt incredibly risky, for, honestly. And I, and I had to deal with, am I just being, is this prosperity gospel? Is it, am I self-centered? Whatever. But I said, Lord, I, I just, I want my family taken care of. I want two cars. So the week before, it was, uh, uh, it was the, here, here we go. This is how I remember things. Y'all remember when, uh, when uh, A&M played uh, uh, <laughs> LSU. It was like Johnny's second year when we played. It was a rainy, miserable day. Uh, we lost the game. You know, it's like those things are like etched into my brain. Um, so it was that week. Um, I, somebody came up to me and said, I want to buy you a car. I heard that you had a need and I want to buy you a car. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, um, do you have one in mind? Should I look on Craigslist or whatever? And, and the, the person said, oh, no, no, no. You're going to go to the car lot and you're going to find something that's brand new, exactly what you want, and that's what I'm going to buy you. It was just so overwhelming. And so that Saturday, I went to the car lot and I got a brand new truck, which was more than I could have ever like, thought possible. And then that next Sunday, our life group gave us $8,000 for another car. And the Lord provided. And it's not because we were faithful, you know? He's faithful. 
I was wavering. I was all over the place. Am I stupid? What am I doing, God? What am I doing with my kids? What am I putting my wife through? I'm all over the place. But I would challenge you that what he remembers about me was that I believed him. And he provided. So we live in a generous community. And when our community gives, they're giddy. I don't know, for, for some of you, you may not have ever been on one of the Telegram or GroupMe groups where they're like, hey, we're going to give some money to whoever. But they're not like, <laughs> yet another person needs money. No, people are fired up. They're like, maybe we can set a goal and go over that, you know? And, and some people might even rebuke others for setting the goals too low. Like, what good's a thousand dollars that you can't, I mean, you can't do anything with a thousand dollars. Let's go for $10,000, you know? How much more is God giddy to be generous? If we, being imperfect humans, get giddy at the thought of being generous to one another, to people in our community, how much more is God excited and delighted to be generous to us? God is generous, and it's not begrudging. He is delighted to be generous. So once you stand. So as we end, we're just going to thank God. We're going to celebrate and honor him for who he is, for his delight, his joy in being generous. So Lord, we love you, God. You're so good, Lord. When we call, you come. When we call, you answer, Lord. You never leave us. You never forsake us, God. You're gracious and kind and merciful. You take our seeds of faith and you grow trees that reproduce fruit. We commit ourselves again to your goodness and to your faithfulness, Lord. Where you go, we will go. What you say, we will say. Your people are our people. We love you, Lord. Would you receive honor from us? In Jesus' name, amen.